Thank you for listening to audio from Glen Meadows Baptist Church. We hope it blesses you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you are not a current member of Glen Meadows, we encourage you to visit one of our services, Sundays at 9 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 6.30 p.m. You may be seated, and if you would, open up your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter. We'll continue and conclude our series in 1 Peter. And so those who are in life group, once you get there, you're not going to be covering this passage. You're going to be covering another passage that I was supposed to preach on, but I called an audible, and I wanted to go ahead and stick with this text because I uh, just changed plans at the beginning of the week. So sorry about that. So you don't have a, a cheat sheet to go by. Anyway, as you know, in First Peter, it's an unbelievable passage dealing with a man who endured incredible persecution, writing to a group of people, five different churches that have been scattered because of persecution. And so it's one who had endured persecution, speaking to others about persecution. It's coming from a man who had actually fallen in persecution, meaning while he was being persecuted, he failed. He, he denied Christ. He committed the greatest sin you could because of pride and self-preservation, chose to deny Christ in the middle. So here is one who, after denying Christ, became filled with the Holy Spirit of God, and he became literally the leader of the church, at least the first section of Acts, and preached an unbelievable message under the influence of the Holy Spirit, grabbing all the scripture from the Old Testament, making it relevant to the moment, and God moved in a powerful way. So here he is teaching people like you and me who are under incredible persecution. You say, Brother Mac, I'm not under persecution. Well, you are, and we'll get to that in a minute. But I will tell you that your trials, your struggles, your tribulations, your hard times, financial calamities, sin that we fall into, being abandoned or rejected. In these times when the soul is in pain, is an incredible time to respond. Some of us respond in a very negative way and it tends to stick. You ever making faces in the mirror and your mom or your dad walked up to you and said, don't do that, your face might get stuck like that, right? Does that ever happen? Well, apparently it did to some of you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Just insult the congregation. That's how you win people. <laughs> Sorry. So, but you know how you make these faces, moms say, don't do that. You might get stuck that way. Well, some of us, when we've gone through trials, listen to me, you've responded negative to the Lord and you're stuck there. It's as if Satan sprinkles a little cement on your countenance and you stay there. Some, you don't like the way life is going right now. You don't like life in school. You don't like the way you're treated. You don't like the situation maybe because of financial circumstances. It's just this incredible burden that you can't hardly bear. And so you have an attitude towards the Lord and you get stuck there for the rest of your life. It happens. I remember a guy, he lost his dad when he was a little boy and he literally physically shook his hand at the face of God and he stayed in that state for the longest time because in the midst of pain, he responded very, very bad. Now let's look at scripture. Let's look at what God says about these things and how we are to respond. And therefore, whether you're in a trial right now or a great tribulation, maybe you find that you're stuck in a situation, in a negative countenance, or I'm preparing you for when you come across a trial and tribulation, which is everyone, you know, we're either in a trial, we're coming out of a trial, or we're about to go into a trial. That's just life. We live in the world. Jesus says, 
in the world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And so let's look how he overcame the world. Let's look at, we're going to be in focusing in verse 6 of chapter 5, 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 6 through verse 11. And so just like we have in the last few sermons, we've looked at the conclusion as Peter's writing, kind of the summary of what he's saying, and then we'll build from the top. And so here's the summary. Verse 10. If you have your Bibles, if you don't have a Bible, there's one under the chair in front of you. After all, men and women died to get you the Word of God. So there, let's look at it. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. Here's what he says. Now the God of this age, who called you to His eternal glory in Christ Jesus, will personally restore establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered a little while, verse 11, to him be the dominion forever. Amen. So here's where we're headed. Here's what we learn. Dominion is a term. It's a military term. It's a ruling term. And so the dominion, when you just read dominion, it's talking about a king. Now we don't have a monarchy. We live in a democracy. Thank God. But if we were to live in a monarchy and say we lived 300 years ago and we were under a king, we would understand what dominance means or dominion. It means from this territory to this territory, this king rules, and the way the grass is grown, the way the poor are taken care of, the way the rich are dealt with, the way the criminals are disciplined, it's under the authority of that one king. Now, in the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's the same thing. He has a dominion, and we are the ones who live in his kingdom. And those that choose to live in the kingdom, you are to reflect the attitude and the justice and the mercy and the benevolence of the king. Because we're under his authority. He is the king. We are his subjects. And we reveal what he's like through our character. Now, after all, listen. If you claim to be a Christian, and yet you live under the dominion of the enemy or you want to live like the world, or you want to live according to your own way, then what you are is uh, you're committing treason, literally. And you are undermining the king of kings and the Lord of lords. That's just, that's just the way it is. So he has a dominion, and you would do better. It, it's a wise choice to submit to the king. Now, let me add, there may be a time in your life where you were in complete alignment with the king. You loved to worship. They couldn't keep you from singing because you knew the king and you wanted to shout his glory. No one could keep you from serving because you knew how he had served you on the cross. And so you were there, you showed up, you were on fire for the Lord. If there was a time in your life where you were more on fire for God than you are now, then you need to, I or I need to, we need to repent and get in alignment with the king. Why? Because it says, it's talking about his dominion forever and ever and ever. Here's what this means. You do not want to get to heaven And as a Christian, you do not want to get to heaven and then bam, your eyes are open. We just sang a song about that. Lord, open my eyes. Your eyes are open to full reality of the dominion of the Lord. And you're going, doggone, when I was on earth, I could have lived like this and I chose to live like that. I could have lived under the expression of his kingdom and all of his beauty, but instead I just wallowed in mediocrity. Don't do that. Don't, Don't go wow, I could have had a V8. Don't be that kind of guy. Be the kind of guy that says, man, I did it. I lived it under the dominion of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And it's just fantastic. But look what he says. 
So <laughs> here's what the, the king, who is ruling forever and ever, here's what he's going to do. Verse 10, this is just beautiful. Now, the God of all grace. Grace isn't just for salvation. Grace is for the Christian from the point of salvation to, the, to forever. And it means God's enabling power that he comes to us. His enabling power. Now, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory. Now, that's not just talking about eternity future. His eternal glory is past, present, and future. It's eternal. Has no beginning. Has no end. He's calling you and me to it. As if we can walk in this dominion, we can experience the dominion of Jesus in our life, and it's we're walking in the glory of God. He's calling you into it now. In spite of all the persecution, in spite of all the trials, in spite of the temptation, this is what he wants from you and from me, to walk in this eternal glory in Christ Jesus. Here's what he's going to do. It's like we need a drum roll. I don't know. Don't, don't do that. But I mean, this is a crescendo of the whole book on standing strong. Boom, here it is. I will, Jesus Christ says, he will personally, Jesus will personally. You talk about Jesus being your personal Lord and Savior. Here's what this means. Not only did he die for you, not only did he raise from the dead for you, take away the penalty of your sin. Here's what he's doing for you personally. He will restore. He will establish. He will strengthen and he will support. So he, he, he brings us out of darkness. He restores us in his kingdom. He establishes the biblical roots and he literally, he encourages us or he strengthens us and then he supports us uh, after you have suffered a little while. So here's, here's what we're saying. Listen, he concludes this and we'll build on it. We'll show you how this builds in just a second. But here's what he's saying so clearly is he's saying, man, God has an unbelievable plan for your life. I mean, it's unbelievable what God wants to do. And so what happens is we go through a trial or a tribulation. Something happens in life that you don't like and you were really upset about it and it might have brought you back. It might have, you might have sunk back. You might have reverted back to the darkness and you're stuck in that. Listen, God wants to completely restore you, establish you, strengthen you, and support you because it's fantastic what he has for you. I mean, look, there's a, there's a heretical line of thought among Christians, and it's the power of positive thinking, and it's garbage. It's just, it's just faith in faith. It's just believing in positive just to be positive, and that's just wrong. It's, it's not being positive about how great you are. Here's where positive thinking in the Bible comes in. It's just knowing God is the most powerful and the most blessed and the most hopeful avenue you've got. And when you belong to the Lord and you're in his dominion, then things are fantastic. They are absolutely in your favor because God favors you. Man, I got a friend, he's in the first service all the time. And he just, just it struck me when he said this. We were talking and we were talking about his future. And he said, wait, let me, let me remind you of something. Let me tell you something you probably don't know. I'm God's favorite. I just started laughing and I just said, say that again. He said, I, I tell everybody and they don't believe me, but listen, I am God's favorite. And I'm like, dude, that is the best attitude to have because what the scripture says about the one who wants to walk under the Lordship of Jesus, 
I am favored by God. Say, Brother Mac, where do you get that? Right here. Right here. Look, he is going to... I don't know what other kind of language to say, except this is unbelievably positive. This is fantastic. No other avenue you could choose, no other road, no other direction can you go to have the most abundant life possible than this one. He will restore, He will establish, He will strengthen you, and He will support you. This is what my God does. No other God provides this. So how does He do it? How do we get from where we are to here? Watch this. Jesus is the chief shepherd, right, of the church. I would be considered an under-shepherd, and any of our teachers and elders would be under-shepherds. And then verse, verse 5, likewise, this is our transition, likewise, younger men, be subject to the elders, and all of you clothe yourselves in humility. This is something you put on, you take off the flesh, you take off self-centeredness, and you put on humility. Here's why. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Pride is your enemy. Now, I'm not saying being proud of, you know, you may be from Montana and you're proud of it. Good for you. You may, you may be proud that your family has done, you know, you, you graduated from high school. You may be proud of that. That's great. Nothing wrong with that. But pride in this term is saying I know more than anyone else about my life. In fact, it goes to this. I know more than God. I literally will choose this, and God just knows I need to be happy. Therefore, I'm going to break his laws and sin. But it's okay. It's okay. God wants me happy. And I'm his favorite, so I'll go do whatever I want. No, it doesn't work like that. Humility says, God, you're right. I'm not going to trust my own heart. I'm going to follow you. That's pure humility. In Christmas season, we know all about humility. We should. That Jesus Christ humbled himself, enfleshed, incarnated himself, Thought it not Robert, he would consider himself equal with God because he was God, he is God. And he emptied himself of all of his prerogative to all of his divine nature. And he became a baby born in a pig's trough. Now what king does that? What king chooses to be born among uh, cow slobber, goat slobber, camel slobber, and all, that other, and all the other stuff that comes with those kinds of animals, right? It's like, I'll be born there. How about a palace? No, I'm going to be born there. How about in the 20th century? How about December 1st, 2019, when we got all this amazing stuff? How about, the, no, 2,000 years before that, no medicine, no nothing, no air conditioning, no heat. I'll be born in a pig's trough. Okay, humility, humility. And so God resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. Why does he pick pride? Why does he pick that? Well, because that's a sin that you never know you have. It's one of the most uh, destructive sins listed in the Bible, pride. If, if, you, if you struggle with pride, you usually don't know it. Other people have to tell you, and since other people have to tell you, and you're so prideful, they're wrong and you're right, and you don't have it, and they're wrong, and therefore you're stuck in that situation. Pride is the kind of sin that you say, I'm more humble than everybody else. And you, you, you really believe it. And so it's a very deafening. It's a, it's a very, you, you, your optics, you're gone. You're just, man, I'm just telling you. If you struggle with pride, God bless you. It's a tough one. Humble yourself to listen to others so that when they say, you know, you're a little, a little prideful, you're a little arrogant, uh, you, just, you really, really need to listen to that. 
when they say that. But here's why. God passes over you, man. One way to guarantee that God rejects you is pride. It's like God sees that and he goes, nah, I'm not going there. I don't, I don't walk like that. I don't, if, if you don't need me, I don't want you. That's what this says. God literally says he resists the proud, but he does what to the humble? <laughs> Gives enabling power. He gives grace to the humble. Therefore, now remember, he's talking to people that are running for their lives. He's talking to widows. He's talking to orphans. He's talking to people who have been devastated and they probably don't have enough to eat. And he's saying, you need to humble yourself. A couple of thoughts. Just because somebody is, you may be really uh, uh, hurting financially. You, 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 you may even be homeless. You may be carless. You may be just less of everything. Did you know you can be just as prideful as the one who makes billions of dollars? Because here are these people going through all kinds of trials, running for their lives, and he said, you need to humble yourself. And you're like, are you kidding me? Because pride isn't, uh, isn't associated with a certain socioeconomic level. Pride is something that hits everybody. And so we, when we go through trials, there's a point where we all must humble ourselves. And he says this. Also, here's another point. You're not supposed to humble other people. Do you see that? This is something we do ourselves because no one is supposed to humble you except the Lord. You yourself take this upon yourself. This is in the middle voice. The, the subject acts upon himself. You humble yourself. And, that's, and here's how we do it. Under the mighty hand of God. Now, this term, the mighty hand of God, is used in the Old Testament and partly in the New Testament in two ways. When the mighty hand of God is mentioned, it talks about chastisement or discipline. You're being disciplined by the mighty hand of God. He controls everything. And when things happen, sometimes they happen for discipline. Anybody here? Uh, well, I know there was a few, but running late to church today? You know, you're like, uh, man, I got up late or breakfast took too long, couldn't get the kids going or I just want an extra hour or whatever. And you're trying to get to church really quick and you hit every single red light. You know how that happens? I was headed to the other side of town. I'm like, man, I have just enough time to get there. I hit every single light and I hit the train. I didn't hit the train, but the train came. <laughs> and there I'm just all upset. Man, why can't they put the train tracks outside the city? You know, why can't they do that? And I guess and just... Just you get very frustrated, then another red light. Instead of just thinking, you know what? This is, could be just the sovereign act of God to test me, to humble me, or maybe even to save my own life from a truck that runs another stop sign. Why not just say, you know what? These are circumstances. I, sh I should have left a little earlier, maybe. Maybe I'll learn. Or maybe it's just circumstances that don't require my introduction of anger. What if I just humbled myself? But the sad news is, for some of us, little things trigger things because we got stuck instead of submitting to the sovereign hand of God. But not only is it chastisement, it also is deliverance. But when the mighty hand of God is used in the Old Testament, it's not only for chastisement, but it's for deliverance. 
And so it just says, look, the mighty hand of God is going to move and it's going to rescue his people. So here's what we do. We humble ourselves, whether it's chastisement or waiting for God's sovereign hand, we are God-focused and we're submissive to his outcome. And you just rest in the Lord. That's how you humble yourself. If you're not resting in the Lord, whether it's his chastisement or his deliverance, it's still him. It's always him. And I humble myself. But then here's, else, here's something else we, always, we need to do. So verse 7 modifies verse 6, and verse 7 is a participle saying casting, continual action. Here's what I do. I take all of my concerns, and I lay them at the feet of Jesus. Why? He's got a mighty hand. The mighty hand of God. It's mighty. It's glorious. And I cast, I take my burdens. What burdens you this morning? Is it relational issues, financial, physical? What is it? Is it something internal? Something that if you could change today, you would just say, gosh, I'd change it so fast. Anything burden you? These are the things we cast upon the mighty hand of God and we leave it there. Probably should do it every day. God, I surrender this to you and I want you to take this pain and I want you to give me your presence. That's his grace. It's something you have, beloved, listen, you need to do that every day. There are trials every day. There's stumbles every day. There's issues every day. And this is how we walk under the dominion of the Lord. He has a mighty hand. And it's also incongruent. Turn to chapter one. I want to show you something real quick. What does it mean to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God? It's just acknowledging what God is all about. Uh, uh, it's verses six, I believe. Chapter one, verse six. Uh, here it is. You rejoice in this, though, for a short time. No, it's not it. Maybe it's 16. Yes, it's 16. That's great. Look at this, verse 15, let's start there. But as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct, for it is written, be holy for I am holy. What is it to submit yourself under the mighty hand of God and cast all your cares upon him? It's knowing that he's holy. He's right. It's glorious. So holy isn't just, isn't just a bunch of candles and a bunch of robes and just going, oh, that's, that's not holy. Here's what holy is. Holy is knowing that God is present. He is otherness. He is righteous. He is just. And he's going to accomplish everything he said. And you lay yourself and your circumstance before the holiness of God. And then let's, this, this is what he brings up in the very first chapter. Then look at verse 17. Also surrendering to the, holy, to, to the mighty hand of God is taking sin seriously. So God is holy, that's first. Next, taking sin seriously. Look at verse 17. And if you address as father, the one who judges impartially based on each one's work, you are to conduct yourself in reverence during this time of temporary residence. That's what it is. It's literally knowing that, man, God takes sin seriously. So I can't say I'm gonna surrender everything to God and then I'm gonna go live my life as I want. That's just hypocrisy. That's all that is. Listen, uh, I just need to say this out loud. God can see you. You can't hide. God know, oh, let's take it a step further. God sees me and he knows my thoughts too. 
And I'm pretty sure he knows yours. You know why? Because he's God and he's holy. And for some reason, we live in a culture that think it's all right to be all this and a bag of chips on Sunday morning, but Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, we go live as we want. Look, that's not submitting yourself under the mighty hand of God. But third, so first, recognizing he's holy. Second, realizing that sin is serious. But third, God is a rescuer. Look at verse 18, chapter 1, 1 Peter. For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without defect and blemish. In other words, God is holy. Be done with sin. And you know what? He has invested in you the richest of all gifts you could ever have. He's given Jesus for you this precious blood. So do you think for a moment he's going to let you perish? Do you think for a moment he doesn't see the trouble? He knows. And so what's our response? Turn to chapter 5. Cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. Surrender to the mighty hand of God. And if that was just all there was to this picture, that would be very simple. It really would. But it's not just the only thing that we do. Here's the other thing. You must resist the devil. You must resist the devil. Say, Brother Mac, that's just a fairy tale. Uh Uh-uh. Brother, sisters, I'm telling you, Satan is alive and well in San Angelo. I've seen him manifest in so many ways from the simplest things that aren't even seen to full-blown possessions that take place in this town, in our neighborhoods, your, in your neighborhoods. Satan's pretty good at what he does. If you took piano lessons and you took them for a year, you could probably play some mean chopsticks, right? You could probably bang it out pretty good. If you took piano lessons for five years, you'd be pretty good. How about for 20 years? How about for 50 years? I mean, you dedicate your life. Morning, noon, and night, all you do is play the piano. Do you think you'd be good? You'd be be smoking. Mozart, that's nothing. You'd be awesome. Imagine doing it for 100 years. 500 years. Every day, every night. How about 1,000 years? How about 6,000 years? Do you know Satan has been working his craft for thousands and thousands of years, and this is all he gives his life to, is getting you to not line up under the dominion of Jesus. See, there is a battle, and it's between the kingdom of light and the king of darkness, Satan, the prince and the power of the air, as he's called. And the battleground or the venue of war is your heart. And Satan knows how to pluck those strings. He knows how to distract. He knows how to get you to think of other things. He knows how to get you to fall. He, know, he can't read your mind. I don't believe that for a moment. But I believe he's very good, and you and I need to be aware of his schemes. Now, most of you, if not all of you, you're too young to know this one comedian. His name was Flip Wilson. Anybody know who Flip Wilson is? And he would say, what would he say? The devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. He'd do something bad. He said, the devil made me do it. You know what? You can't say that. 
As a Christian, the devil can't make you do anything. Now, he can entice you to join him. And apparently, he does a very good job in the body of Christ of getting people to do what he wants. Getting Christians to fall under the sway. In America, in our incredible prosperity, there is a, a current or a sway of compromise, and it's all around us. The, what I usually hear out of people is, that's really not that bad. Or, uh, there's no real law against that. I hear that more often than I hear, you know what, I just want to be holy. I don't hear that very often. I just, I just want to please God with all my heart. I usually hear, when people will ask, they'll, they'll ask a question, how much, it comes down to this, how much can I get by with and still go to heaven? And I'm like, get out of here. I mean, how do you answer that? You're not even in the right, you're not even in the right ball game. I mean, you're, you're approaching this like a whole nother faith. Listen, here's, here's where we should be. We should know the schemes of the enemy. Look at what he says. Number one, you and I should respect the devil. You say, wait a minute. I don't think we should respect the devil. No, listen to me. Verse eight says, be sober-minded. In other words, wake up. There was a couple of uh, ranked football teams yesterday that lost to unranked football teams yesterday, right? You know what they didn't do? They didn't respect their opponent. They didn't respect the coach. They didn't respect the quarterback. They didn't respect the, oh, the, the defensive line, the offensive line. They didn't respect them. They just went in there thinking they're going to win. And look, if you think that, if you think you are not a target of the enemy, you've already lost. It's that simple. Why don't you ask yourself, in other words, to be alert, how does Satan get at me? Because it's different for me than it is for you, right? You may, you may look at other people's sin and say, that's just disgusting. And they look at your sin and go, that's just disgusting. And they're on complete different levels, right? But sin is sin. So how does he get you? Is it pride? Is it anger? Is it criticism? Is it malice? Is it indifference? Is it just laziness? What is it? And, and here's the way you do it. You and I, we should look at our past and look at our track record. And I bet it would take you 10 seconds to figure out where it is that the enemy starts to get after you. So he says this, be respectful, number Two, you should recognize when it's the devil. So respect and also recognize. Look at his symptoms. Look at the way he maneuvers in your life. Grow in discernment. If, if you're waiting to observe the devil when you see someone's head turn around and pea soup come out their mouth, you're probably going to be waylaid by the enemy because he very seldom manifests like that. He usually manifests in a very subtle way. And so what are the subtle ways in your life? And also then it's resist. Look at verse nine. Resist him. So respect him, recognize him, and resist him. Let me show you this little chart just to give us some guidance in this, this realm. So there are three evils in this world. There's the evil of the world. There's the evil in your heart called the flesh. And then there's the evil of Satan. And you respond to each differently. So the world is just a worldly system. It's, it's, it's maybe that, that sway within your school. Maybe it's in your junior high or high school. There's just a sway and people want you to get involved. It might be in, in, in your cubicle farm where you are. It might be where you work in construction. It, you can just see there's a sway of compromise and sin. That's just the world. 
And what are you to do? You're to run. 1 Timothy 6.11 says, flee. 2 Timothy 2.22 says, flee youthfulness. Run from it. Anybody have any pecan pie lately? Brother, I'm telling you. So if I'm on my fourth piece, right? And, you know, before noon, <laughs> you know, I'm like, man, I don't need to sin like this. I don't need to be a glutton. It doesn't do me any good to just stare at it, right? I don't just go, I'm not touching it. It doesn't do me any good to do that. What I need to do is to drop the pie and what? Run. Right. Don't say, hey, can I have a glass of milk and a fork? You run. There's, you can't sit there and stare at it and say no at the same time. You must run from sin. If there's someone who makes you stumble, you have to sever ties, cut, and get out. We're to be in the world, but if someone is making you stumble, you say, brother, I can't hang with you anymore. I can't. I can't. It's that proverbial crab in the bucket pulling the other person down constantly. You got to cut and run. You need to run from sin. You are, you are no competition to sin itself. You just run. You leave. You quit your job if you have to. You, 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 you block people if you have to. You don't go to places you don't go to places on your screen, on your, you just don't. You run for that. Then second, that's the world. Then flesh, that's what's inside of you. Here's what you do. You deny it. You just say, I'm not going to give in to the flesh. You and I have a want to within our heart. There's certain things that we want to do that are evil, and you have to deny it. Romans 6.11 says, reckon yourself dead to sin and present yourself alive to God. So instead of my heart, instead of always following my heart, then what I do is I begin to follow Scripture and I begin to do what the Scripture says instead of what my heart says. A good way to learn how to discern that is through the disciplines that the Lord teaches us. He, he went to the disciples and they were trying to pray while he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember this? And they found, he found them asleep. And he says, you couldn't even pray an hour? One of the disciplines. What are the other things that Jesus taught us to do? Solitude. So we learn to deny ourselves by engaging in the disciplines that Jesus taught us. Solitude. Silence. Some of us can't be in silence for five minutes. We're in the car, we turn on the radio. When we're at home, we turn, we're on the phone, we're on the screen. Maybe you should look at your screen and look at how many hours this week you've spent and just cut it in half. It'll freak you out, but you can do it. Trust me. You can live without that. Maybe you turn off the TV. Maybe you turn off the radio if you still use one. Maybe you turn off your phone. Maybe you put the newspaper or the, and you just get alone. And you watch what happens to your soul while you're in silence. And it's very, very difficult for you. Maybe you fast. Had a friend that was struggling with some sin. And he just said, man, I, I'm really struggling. I can't seem to get any victory in this area of my life. And I knew him. He was a young guy. And so there wasn't any physical reason why he couldn't do this. And I said, why don't you fast for three days and get back with me? And he said, what are you talking about? And I said, don't eat nothing. Just, just drink water, three days. You can do it. And he goes, are you kidding me? I said, just do it. And he did it along with scripture, along with worship, marinating, meditating on scripture. On the fourth day, we got together over lunch. <laughs> and uh, we were at a buffet and... Uh, he just said, yeah, it's incredible. Because if your stomach's barking at you and you keep saying, shut up, shut up, 
no, not going to do it. Then that, that's a way of practicing, giving you a rhythm of saying no to the flesh. And you begin to say, you begin to deny yourself. And the third thing is Satan himself. So literally, you flee from sin, you deny the self, and you resist the devil. Why? He is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That's what it is. The devil is a prowling, roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Man, he's after you. And I'm telling you, I can tell you this from personal experience. When you're going through difficult trials and hard times, the enemy comes up and he offers you all kinds of things. And it's possible that you got stuck there. They offered you pride. He offered you anger. Maybe instead of resisting the devil, you've been resisting God and bowing down to the devil. Instead of bowing down to God and resisting the devil, maybe you got that flipped and now you, you are bitter. You, res, you have resentment towards people, towards churches, towards a staff member, towards your spouse or ex-spouse, and you've got this bitterness that's just flowing. Maybe it's someone at school. Maybe it's just the way life is going for you and you're getting stuck in this situation. Stop and think and do what the scripture says and you will be rescued. Why? Because God has something for you. You can name whatever you want to name and I'm telling you, the Lord has something for you. It's like Peter when he was watching his leader, his savior getting beat and tortured, and he said, I don't know him. He wasn't aware. He didn't know Satan's schemes. And then when he saw him crucified, he, didn't, he wasn't sober-minded, and he fell. But you know what happened? The one who wrote this book, Jesus restored him. Look at verse 10. Jesus personally wants to do this to you. He wants to restore you. Listen, we all have fallen Okay, let's just be big boys right now. Let's just talk. We all have fallen to some degree or another. If you're in a state of fallenness right now, be restored. He wants to personally restore you. And then he says he will establish you. So the old is gone. The new has come. He restores you. And establishing means he gives you roots. And then you will be strengthened. So those roots produce fruits. And then he will support. Man, what God has for you is fantastic, even in the worst times. What Satan has meant for evil, God will turn to good. And he will use you. You may be discouraged. Well, it's because you're following self. You may feel like you're counted out. You're down for the count. No, you're just walking in your own strength. But let me tell you, our God, my God, you know what He does? He restores. He personally reaches in. He reorients. He changes. He reboots. And you're like, oh, this is so good. I know life can be a pain. I know this circumstance stinks. But God is going to get the victory. Amen? Where were you at in this? Are you stuck? Are you willing to be restored? Thank you again for listening to audio from Pastor Mac Roller at Glenmeadows Baptist Church. For previous sermons and more information, please check out our website at gmbc.org.